Hey all, my name is Blue. I'm grateful to be here with you tonight. Um, a little background for me. Um, back in my early 20s, for about five years, uh, I was in the Navy. Uh, right after that, came out to CSU to uh, get my bachelor's degree, like 2015 to 2019. That last year that I was here, 2018-2019, I was actually a part of this, uh, this college ministry, and I was a part of that infamous party where the cops were called, you all were just talking about. Um, and just a few things have changed since I graduated as an almost 30 single man. Uh, I'm married now. I have two children. Uh, you should be able to see them up there. All right. Uh, so it's my, my wife, Meredith. Uh, my daughter, Rosemary, who's about two and a half years old. She's spunky and loud, like life of the party. Uh, and then I got my super chill boy, Theo. He's about three, three and a half months old. Um, yeah, and being a parent has been an eye-opening uh, experience for me at times. Uh, you get this, I'd say, full, uh, unguarded view of, of human nature right before your eyes. Um, I, w- I was talking with my daughter at one point, and we were telling her um, that she couldn't do something, and she, she was not, uh, not happy about it. I don't even remember what this um, specific thing was. Um, but part of, what I, part of what I said was I just wanted to acknowledge, like, I know it's hard. I know it's hard to not be in control right now. Um, and she looks at me and fixes me with her eyes, uh, and she says these exact words, I want to be in control. That's what she says. <laughs> uh, and I had, a, I had a couple reactions. First, um, I laughed. I mean, obviously, like, how do you not when you have such, like, honesty and bluntness from a two-year-old? Uh, and second, I, w- I was struck by the fact that maybe, I, maybe I'm not like speaking those words necessarily uh, throughout my day, but I feel it in my heart. Like I want my day to go the way that I want um, and uh, the way that I've planned it. Uh, it also made me think of this question, like why does she feel uh, this way about me telling her to do something? Like my first thought was, you know, she's just having trouble submitting to authority or, or, or respecting us. Um, and I, I think we all struggle with that at times. It's not just kids, but why? Uh, and this led me to a next thought. Um, like, and the, thought of the, the foundation of it, I think, is like she can't see uh, what we see. Uh, and she has like, this, this thought within her that we're actually like, withholding something from her that she needs for fulfillment and for joy. Uh, and we're like, yeah, when we say, hey, we're not going to have ice cream for breakfast every morning, she sees a joy taken away. Uh, when I ask her, like, tell her, hey, we're not going to climb on that railing because I see this, this huge drop-off on the other side, uh, or I'm not going to let her just run out in the middle of the street without looking, she sees an adventure taken away from her. Uh, yeah, and what, what she doesn't see is what we see. We want her to grow up being healthy. Um, we don't want her to, to have the negative uh, aspects of, of eating unhealthily for, for, for such a long time, or she, she doesn't see that we've literally saved her life <laughs> on countless occasions, uh, and that the rules we have are actually for like, her benefit, for her growth, um, and for her health. Um, and even though she can't fully see it yet, we ask her to submit to it because we love her and we care for her. Uh, and, I, and I think the, the hope would be that as she grows up, as she sees the, I would say the intention and the heart behind what we're asking and trusts more in the character of her mom and dad, um, uh, that she um, will understand, sorry, will understand like what we're, uh, the things we're calling to her, asking her to avoid. Um, 
and want to submit to those things because he sees they're for her good. Uh, and I want to share this story because I think the Bible calls us to something similar in our relationship with God. Um, there's a, a worldly wisdom um, uh, pursued uh, like Rosie above or like Andrew kind of took you through with Solomon last week where it's like, you know, we want to pursue uh, whatever we want in the hopes of, of fulfillment and pleasure uh, and joy. Uh, you know, let me live my own life. I'm not hurting anyone. Rosie might say, just let me eat my ice cream. Let me climb this railing, okay? Um, and maybe we say, like, wealth, sex, relationships, sports, a good job, good grades, this is what is going to fulfill me. Uh, we see God withholding something um, from us, uh, and, a li- and, like, life with him is too controlling. Uh, and then uh, there is... Uh, the godly wisdom we see talked about in the Bible. Uh, and I want to just define it for us this way tonight just to help us. I'm going to say wisdom is uh, the ability to see and submit to reality as God sees it. Um, you know, this allows us to live in a way that pleases God and, is with, and with Rosie, as with Rosie, uh, brings us like safety and protection and joy and pleasure, I would say. Um, but we can't understand biblical wisdom unless we understand something else first. Uh, Andrew led you through Solomon's pursuit uh, of worldly wisdom, and next he's going to take you through, like, how does biblical wisdom, how is that even practically lived out? Uh, But tonight I want to talk to you about what the Bible says is the beginning of wisdom, which is the fear of the Lord. Uh, We won't want to, like, submit to God or even desire to look into the wisdom of the Bible, uh, if we don't understand what it means to fear God. Uh, so tonight, tonight I'm going to recap a little bit of last week, and I'm going to walk us through two kinds of fear, more specifically two kinds of fear of God. And then I want to point us to the one uh, who shows us how to perfectly walk in, in godly fear and in wisdom. All right, so let's open up to the Word. It should be on the screen behind me, but if you want to open up your Bible or on your phone, it's going to be in Ecclesiastes. We're going to start there. We're going to be in several places, but Ecclesiastes chapter 12, starting in verse 13. Um, so the author, Solomon, he says this, the end of the matter, all has been heard, fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. So the end of the matter, all has been heard. Like you heard from uh, Andrew last week with Solomon, who, who wrote this book. Um, he tried a great many things for fulfillment and purpose. Uh, he tried to find purpose in, uh, in pleasure and sex and parties and collecting possessions that would put the, the millionaires and billionaires of today to shame. Um, he also tried uh, to find purpose in work and wealth and anything he could find, anything he could grasp. And it left him unfulfilled, and it left him feeling empty. Uh, he was at the end. He tried everything by the point of, by, at this point in the book. The reader has, has heard all of that he's tried. Uh, and now he concludes his argument and says that, that it, what any man uh, or woman should do if they desire true fulfillment and purpose in life, um, what everyone would be like wise to do. Uh, And he says in the next verse, Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. He tried everything. It didn't fulfill. Even if there were moments of pleasure, they passed, and the emptiness took over. 
but he knows, he knows what does provide lasting fulfillment, which is the fear of God and allowing his, uh, sorry, following his commandments um, or submitting to his will. Solomon even says this is the whole duty of man. You were made for this. You were made to fear and, to, and submit to God and, um, and what you're doing and be mindful of him throughout your day. Uh, this should be your greatest concern. Uh, and like I said, I'm not focusing as much on following God's commands tonight. Andrew's going to cover that in more detail in the practical part. Uh, but I want to I leave us tonight, Lord willing, with, with a better understanding of what the Bible means about fearing the Lord. So what does, what does it mean to fear God? You know, it sounds weird to us in our culture, in our context, um, you know, just because of what, what comes to our mind when we hear the word fear. Um, and to begin to get, like, paint a biblical picture of it, I want to I take us to another passage. Um, we're going to look in the book of Exodus. Uh, in this scene, uh, we find God talking with his people. It's right after God. Um, it's going to be in Exodus chapter 20. Uh, right after God um, delivers his people from slavery out of Egypt. He brings them out, and, he, and he's, this is literally right after he, he states the law to them. He gives it to them. Um, Uh, and it states this law, which is like, you're going to walk in these ways, you're going you're to represent me to the world, and you're going to receive this reward and this blessing from me. Um, uh, and the Lord's presence is actually on this mountain. It's like this terrifying spectacle uh, to them. And just look, I want to look at how his people respond. He says, Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. They stood far off and said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. The, Moses, or the people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. These people were terrified and afraid, uh, and they tremble before God. Uh, and it, as his presence uh, rests on this mountain, as he speaks, there's these flashes of lightning and thunder. His, his immensity and power are on display. Uh, and there are two things I want us to see here that will help us like moving forward. First, there are two kinds of fear. The Israelites were afraid of him, but Moses says, do not fear and why? What's his response? He says, so the fear of him may be before you. So they had some kind of wrong fear towards God, and he's calling them to a right fear of God. Uh, and then we see that one fear made the Israelites step back. They said, we want, we want nothing to do with this guy. Like, you go talk to him. We're going to hang back, and you come tell us what he wants. We don't want to die. They drew away, but then you see this Moses is drawing near. There's this different, or this contrast. So there's two kinds of fear towards God. One draws you to God, the other pushes away. Uh, the first I will call sinful fear, and the second I want to call right fear. Uh, and we're going to start to differentiate these by discussing the first and then the second type of fear. Uh, this first fear uh, is a fear that I, I believe we can, we can understand and we can resonate with. Maybe we think of like a horror movie. And what, are, what are these people thinking as they're running away from zombies and terrified for their life? 
Or, or like an encountering a bear, similar situation, a bear in the wild that's chasing you and you, and you flee. Uh, or maybe we think of a tyrant who builds uh, his, his empire off of like instilling fear among his people, uh, one that is full of oppression and domination and just controlling behavior. Uh, and one way that we can, we can fall into fear, the fear of God is similar to these descriptions. Uh, listen to this quote from Christopher Hitchens, uh, he, who is one of the, like, the most influential atheists of the 21st century. When he was asked about the possibility of God being real, he said this, I think it would be rather awful if it was true. There would be a permanent, total, round-the-clock, divine supervision and invigilation Vigilation, just think of a teacher watching all the students, making sure nobody's cheating. So this divine supervision and invigilation of everything you did. You would never have a waking or sleeping moment when you weren't being watched and controlled and supervised by some celestial entity from the moment of your conception to the moment of your death. It would be like living in North Korea. So this, guy, this, this fear sees God as an intimidating, controlling tyrant, uh, whether, whether with the Israelites or with Christopher Hitchens uh, and other atheists. It's, it's one that pushes away. Uh, and, and these have extremes with the Israelites and, and, and with, this, with the Christopher Hitchens. The first would be, you know, I want to be, be away with God and his existence. I don't, I don't need him in my life, and I refuse to even contemplate his reality. You know, if he, if he was real, why would I even want to serve someone like this? The second would be more like the Israelites. It just forms maybe into an, an, uh, an obedience that stems from like fear of punishment. Uh, it's an obligatory obedience. This is not the obedience or the, or the fear that God is looking for from his children, those who have faith in him. It's a fear that, that doesn't see the mercy or grace or sacrificial love of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, it is a fear that that doesn't see the reality that God is a benevolent father uh, who has your best interests in mind. Uh, it, is a, it is a misunderstanding of God that leads to this fear. It's similar to my story with, with Rosie. She doesn't see my heart and my motivations behind what I call her to. Uh, and as a side note, certainly we are called to see, like in, like in the verse we were first in in Ecclesiastes, um, that he will bring every deed into judgment. It is a fearful thing to fall in the hands of a, a living God who will judge everyone, who has the list of every right and every wrong before, them, before him, um, judging right from wrong. Um, it, but I believe this hearing this is, is meant to hit us and strike us, but it's not meant to be the fear we, we live in with God. It's meant to, I think it's meant to draw us into the right kind of fear, uh, a fear that, that draws us in because there's, there's a different sort of fear towards God, one that made Moses walk up that mountain, one that made Solomon tell you this is the whole duty of man. Um, so let's turn uh, to the Bible uh, and see what it says about this right fear. In Jeremiah, um, another book in the Bible, God, God is speaking to his people. They are in, they're in the middle of or about to go through um, this, this just terrible uh, moment or long, long moment <laughs> of suffering uh, and the consequences that God has said would be coming their way. And, he, and, he's, and he's given them many warnings um, that it would come and it finally had come upon them. 
Yet right in the middle of it, we get a, we get a glimpse of the character of God uh, and the fear he desires as he speaks this, this new covenant to his people. And as we kind of look back through history and, and know of Jesus, we see that this covenant is speaking of the one that Jesus would bring. And this is what he says in the book of Jeremiah. And they shall be my people, and I will be their God. I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever for their own good and the good of their children after them. I will make with them an everlasting covenant that I will not turn away from doing good to them. I will put the fear of me in their hearts that they may not turn from me. I will rejoice in doing them good. I will plant them in this land in faithfulness and with all of my heart and all of my soul. What do we see of God's character towards his children? He will be and delights in being your God, uh, and he will never turn away from doing good towards you, his children. The fear of, the fear of him is meant for your good. More specifically, it's meant uh, to prevent you from turning away, from, to draw you in um, to what is good for you and for your soul, um, to prevent you from leaving your greatest good, which is God. And not only does he want to be good towards his children. He delights in doing it. And not only does he rejoice in it, he promises this good will last towards us forever. So this is a fear that, that leads uh, to the good of God's children. It, it draws us uh, from away from destructive things and into God's embrace. It's a fear that holds them captive in a good way, not the negative way we think of that word. Uh, and God loves to do good towards his children and bless them. And we're going to see a, a deeper connection between the fear of God uh, and our good as we continue in Jeremiah. Uh, as the Lord uh, is finishing his proclamation of this new covenant, he tells his people, you know, they will be forgiven, they're going to be restored. Uh, and not only that, but these restored people are going to fill this restored city that will be for him a joy and a praise before all the nations. All the peoples of the earth are going to uh, hear all about how, uh, all the good that God does for his people. Um, they're going to shine forth like this beacon and proclaim, like, look how wonderful and good it is to follow God. Uh, and he says this is going to be the nation's response, you know, and the response that God wants from all of his children, the right fear. And it says this uh, later in Jeremiah. They, referring to the nations, shall fear and tremble because of all the good and all the prosperity I provide for it, for the city. They will fear and tremble for what? Because of fear of punishment? Uh, because the, this fearful, dreadful tyrant is hanging over them? No, it says they will fear because of all the good. Because God is so powerful that he can provide so much for his children. He holds nothing back that they need and gives more than they could ever imagine. Because the immensity and depth and wonder and just unconditional nature of his love uh, is so good that it's almost beyond comprehension. Uh, because God is, is kind and faithful and full of grace that he would pursue our relationship with us and to bestow his riches upon us, not, not only briefly, but forever, an eternity of fulfillment and joy and satisfaction. They will fear and tremble because of thinking forward of this, what this covenant looks to, to Jesus, because of the perfect 
justice, and wonderful love on display in one moment on the cross. You know, God shows his perfect and unwavering justice and that Jesus had to die, but he shows his wonderful love that he gave his only son who, who, who did will, joined willingly uh, to die for us on the cross and to provide new life through his resurrection. This is, this is the fear that God wants. To, he wants you to tremble before his goodness. The fear of the Lord is not being afraid of a tyrant who's ever watchful of mistakes and controlling and oppressive. You know, a fear that repulses and pushes away. Um, but I think this, this theologian um, uh, and pastor Michael Reeves captures really well what, what is the fear of the Lord. And it's in this book, Rejoice and Tremble, which some of these ideas came from as well. And this is what he says. This is, this is what God's people are called to. Overwhelmed by his goodness and majesty and holiness and grace and righteousness, by all that God is, the faithful tremble. The biblical theme of the fear of God helps us to see the sort of love toward God that is fitting. It shows us that God does not want passionless performance or a vague preference for him. To encounter the living, holy, and all-gracious God truly means that we cannot contain ourselves. He is not a truth to be known unaffectedly or a good to be received listlessly. Seeing clearly the dazzling beauty and splendor of God must cause our hearts to quake. I think this quote for me shows why, why fear is the best word. It's not, it's not just this simply, it's not simply awe and reverence, but something that like conveys a deep movement in your spirit and your body physically responds to um, as you encounter this awesome and just and gracious God. This should not be a, a passive encounter. And this is, why, this is why the Bible says these things about the fear of God. Solomon also wrote these two verses we're going to put up. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord, uh, as Proverbs 9, 10, and then the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that one may turn away from the snares of death. Proverbs 14, 27. Fearing God is the beginning of wisdom because, because it's seeing reality as God sees it. We see God as the benevolent father that he, that he is as well as the righteous judge. We see the, um, that we see the reality that to follow God is to live in the way that we were designed for, designed to live. You know, as his children, we are meant to, to worship him, to follow his commands, and glorify him. And we might say, maybe not bluntly like a two-year-old, but, but what do I get? His answer is joy. He says, it's like the magnitude of what I bring and the, and the beauty and splendor of me being your God is going to fill you with such fulfillment and satisfaction and pleasure that you are going to tremble with joy and love and godly, like, right fear. He's not trying to withhold pleasure uh, and joy and satisfaction from you, but he, he wants to help you see what you cannot see. He wants to help me see what I cannot see. Uh, when we're pursuing our, our ultimate purpose in worshiping other things uh, over God, like Solomon did, uh, we are walking towards the snares of death. And it, it, like not just here and now where we feel the emptiness, but an eternity 
from God when we're in, in separation from him. We are walking towards an emptiness that Solomon felt. You know, we are like Rosie, just uh, climbing the railing, and we can't see the drop-off on the other side. We don't want to let go. And not unless we truly see, like, I see the, beautif- the beautiful and, like, wonderful character of God uh, and see that what he has for us is so much better, then maybe we'll, we'll be able to let go, climb down, like, run into his arms and walk forward with what he has for us. This is the fear Solomon um, was alluding to or, or speaking of when he said the answer is to fear God and follow his commands. And lastly, I wanted to say, I wanted to say talk about a, the sinful fear and the right fear. And lastly, I want to talk about uh, the greatest example of wisdom and walking in the fear of the Lord, which I believe is, is Jesus Christ. You know, we have learned that we we need to see God rightly and to have the right fear. Uh, to have the right fear, we need, we need to see him rightly to have the right fear. Uh, we see God the most clearly as we look at the Son, Jesus Christ. And not only that, uh, but he is a, he's just like our, our perfect example um, of walking in that wisdom and godly fear. So however um, you are responding to this message in your heart tonight, I want to point you to Jesus. Maybe... Uh, whether you're a Christian or not, you're struggling like Solomon and pursuing purpose and joy and pleasure and wealth and sex and a good reputation and work and sports and anything else you can grab onto and try. Maybe you're exhausted and weary of this pursuit. Maybe you tend to, to believe you know, in the reality that wealth or anything else I just listed uh, is what you need to hold on to for a good and comfortable life. Maybe you struggle to hear this because your heart is certainly not trembling with joy at the moment or struggles with it often. Uh, I, know, um, I know I struggle with all of these things, and I struggle every day. But I've but I found a path um, towards that struggle ending and, and to peace and purpose and fulfillment, uh, which I feel in part now in my relationship with Jesus, and I hope for completion in the future. To you and to all of us, I would just repeat the words that Jesus says in the, the Gospel of Matthew. He says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. You don't need to, to anxiously search for what will fulfill or prosper you anymore. Jesus says, I have what you need. It's right here. Come to me. Following him is not, is not burdensome, like following a cruel tyrant, but light and restful. Uh, it's, he's a gentle and humble master. He cares about your needs, and he will never leave or forsake you. Freeing, of the, freeing you, freeing us of the fear of, of not having enough or being alone, unknown, and unloved, just to name a few. Not only does he care, he, know, he knows how you feel, and he knows how to help. I think Jesus has experienced fear or a troubled spirit. And the, the scene I think of most is he's praying in the garden before he goes to his death, and he was so tumultuous, like his spirit was so tumultuous, and he was so troubled that he was sweating blood. 
And he said, God, may, may, this, may this pass from me, but not my will, your will be done. I know your will is what is best for me. He knows what it's like, and he knows how to help you. As you come to Jesus, learn from him. In the Bible, it says that uh, in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And in another book that is like foretelling his coming, it says, the spirit of wisdom and understanding and the spirit of the fear of the Lord will rest upon him. His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. Uh, if, you, if you want to know, like, how do, I, how do I live this out? Where do I look for, for an example? How do I be empowered to do so? I call you to look to Jesus Christ. I call you to, to open up the Gospels, read how he interacted with God, how he interacted with those around him. And if you need help to even, like, how do I begin that? What do I do? Uh, I know I would love to help, love to help you and serve you in that way, and I know there's many others that would too. Lastly, as you come to Jesus, I encourage you to come as a child, which might sound confusing based off my story earlier, uh, but let me explain. When Rosie wants to know something, like, why is the grass green? Why is the baby crying? Uh, she asks and trusts us with the answer. She trusts that to be reality. Uh, when, when she perceives danger, she runs to me for protection. I am her refuge and fortress. You know, when things are going well with obedience, she trusts that I'm asking her to do something because it is for her good and chooses to listen. When we come to Jesus, to God, with this heart, we have hit the beginning of wisdom. What he says is true. He is your help and your refuge. What he commands is for your good. And to end, I would just say, uh, just thinking back to my story with Rosie, when she says, I want to be in control. Uh, and it's hard. Just like I said to her, <laughs> I say it to myself all, all the time, it's hard to give that control up. It's hard to submit to someone else. How do I know they're going to really seek my greatest joy and my fulfillment and my pleasure? Uh, and I hope that just as this is the beginning or, or just a continued growth of seeing the character of God and his goodness and his love and his care for you. Because I think we have to see that first before we, we, wanna, before we can submit. And he's a, he's a good God and he's worthy of it. All right, let's pray. Lord, I just... Um, I want to pray that you would help us to understand. Help us to come to you with questions. Help us to seek you for wisdom and knowledge. Help us to not um, pursue things, even good things, um, not necessarily bad things, but we pursue them over you and, and, and miss out on our joy, miss out on uh, such joy that you say it's going to make us tremble. Um, Lord, help us to see that your fear, the fear of you is connected so deeply with joy and with love and that you desire our satisfaction and our pleasure and our fulfillment. And that would that be just a, the foundation and a stepping stone of thinking through how we can practically step forward and live this out. Uh, I just pray that you'd be with us in our hearts and spirit, would you, would you convict and bring wisdom? Pray that in your name. Amen.